Welcome to CME on ReachMD. This activity entitled Paradigm Shifts in CAR T-Cell Therapy for Relapsed Refractory Large B-Cell Lymphoma, a Video Viewpoint, is provided by an educational grant from Bristol-Myers Squibb Company. Prior to beginning the activity, please be sure to review the faculty and commercial support disclosure statements as well as the learning objectives. Here's Dr. Karen Jacobson. Hello and welcome to this educational activity titled Paradigm Shifts in CAR T-Cell Therapy for Relapse and Refractory Large B-Cell Lymphoma. I'm Dr. Karen Jacobson, an Assistant Professor of Medicine at the Harvard Medical School and Medical Director of the Immune Effector Cell Therapy Program at Dana-Farber. Today, I will review the current treatment landscape for CAR T-Cell therapies and highlight current and emerging evidence for large B-cell lymphoma in the second line setting. So I first wanted to take a look at the large B-cell lymphoma treatment paradigm really emerging from the time of CAR T-cell therapy approval in third-line large B-cell lymphoma in 2017 through the most recent data in 2022. And this paradigm really looked like patients all got frontline RCHOP or REPOC, depending on their risk features for their large B-cell lymphoma. And about a third of these patients we know will either be primary refractory or relapse, at which point they would receive second line or salvage chemotherapy. And those who respond will go on to have high-dose chemotherapy or an autologous stem cell transplant. For those who don't respond or who relapsed after high-dose chemotherapy or autologous stem cell transplant, this is where CAR T-cell therapy was approved starting in 2017 for relapse refractory large B-cell lymphoma. I want to take a look at the one-third of patients who would be primary refractory or relapse to see if there's any way that we can identify them ahead of time and think about new strategies in order to improve their outcomes ultimately with these therapies. So how do we determine who will be refractory or who will relapse with large B-cell lymphoma to RCHOP or or EPOC? So first, of course, we have the International Prognostic Index, which takes into account five different clinical and disease risk factors, including elderly age, advanced stage, a high LDH, a poor performance status, and multiple extranodal sites of disease, ascribing one point to each of these risk factors. And the summation will put patients into four different risk categories, low, low intermediate, high intermediate, and high, and the overall survival curves for these risk categories ranging from upwards of about 80 to 90% long-term survival down to closer to 30 to 40% long-term survival. And this risk score, the IPI, has really survived the test of time and continues to be prognostic even with current strategies. We then know that We can categorize these lymphomas based on their gene expression profile, whether they are germinal center-like or activated B-cell-like, and that these gene expression profiles do correlate with overall prognosis with patients with germinal center-like large cell lymphomas having a better prognosis than those with an activated B-cell-like lymphoma. More recently, we've seen advancement of this sort of genomic classification by two different laboratories, the SHIP lab at Dana-Farber and the STOUT lab at the NCI, which really has made the risk stratification based on genomic classification a little bit more defined. And now there are really five different genomic classifications of large cell lymphoma, all of which have different overall prognoses and sort of different rationales for new and targeted therapies. This hasn't yet really made its way into clinical practice, but is fodder for future studies and future risk consideration. And then lastly, we know that patients who have double and triple hit cytogenetics, those that have rearrangements in both MYC and BCL2 or MYC and BCL6, as represented by the yellow curves here on the right, do a lot less well than patients who do not have MYC and BCL2 or BCL6 translocations. 
We also know that patients that overexpress MYC and BCL2 or who have high-grade B-cell lymphomas without MYC or BCL2 overexpression are also groups of patients who will do less well compared to the general population. If we followed that treatment paradigm and we took all the patients that had relapsed refractory disease after our chopper, our EPOC, and we took them through salvage chemotherapy and then an autologous stem cell transplant, we know that those who relapse early, generally within the first year of their frontline chemoimmunotherapy, versus those who relapse late a year or later after their frontline chemoimmunotherapy, will do significantly less well, both in terms of progression-free and overall survival with what was the current second-line standard of care, namely salvage chemotherapy and autologous stem cell transplant as depicted by these curves here. So let's just introduce the CD19 chimeric antigen receptor or CAR T-cells that are available in the clinic for large B-cell lymphoma. These include axicaptogene, sililucil, or axicel, tisogen leclucil, or tisicel, and lysocaptogene, marilucil, or lysocel. All three of these CAR T-cells share the same extracellular domain, which is the FC variable fragment of an antibody molecule that recognizes CD19 on normal, healthy, and malignant B-cells. They all have a CD3 zeta activating domain, but they differ from each other in terms of their second co-stimulatory domain, where AxiCell has a CD28 CAR, and Tisicel and Lysacel have a 41BB CAR. These chimeric antigen receptor T-cells are derived from the patient's own T-cells through a process called leukophoresis. These T-cells are then transfected with the transgene that encodes these chimeric antigen receptors. The gene gets integrated into the nucleus and expressed, and then the receptor gets put on the surface of the T-cell. These cells are then expanded to target dose and then returned to the cancer center where they're ready for infusion into the patient. And once they're infused into the patient, they will bind to CD19 target cells as well as on normal healthy B cells, which will activate the immune synapse and activate both CD3 zeta as well as the other co-stimulatory domain to activate the T cell. And the hope is that the end result is killing of the tumor cell. So now let's pause to review a video clip on similarities and differences within the structure and co-stimulatory domains of the different CAR T cell therapies that we just discussed. CD19-directed CAR T-cell therapy binds to CD19 expressed on the surfaces of tumor and normal B-cells. This binding induces activation of CAR T-cells, release of pro-inflammatory cytokines, and killing of target cells. Let's take a closer look at the structure of CAR T-cell therapies for large B-cell lymphoma. CAR T-cell therapy consists of four main components. One, an extracellular target antigen binding domain. 2. A hinge region, 3. A transmembrane domain, and 4. Intracellular signaling domains. Extracellularly, different cars share the same antigen binding domain, or receptor, but bear a different hinge. The binding region is composed of a CD19-directed, antibody-derived, single-chain variable fragment. Intracellularly, cars can have different co-stimulatory domains, either CD28-derived or 4-1BB derived. Both are associated with high patient response rates, but differ in their characteristics and function. A CD28 co-stimulatory domain enhances early and rapid CAR T-cell expansion that can lead to early and higher grade side effects and more rapid decreases in CAR T-cell levels over time. A 4-1BB co-stimulatory domain leads to more gradual CAR T-cell expansion 
and as such can lead to later and lower grade side effects and more delayed decreases in CAR T-cell levels over time. So now that we understand what the different CAR T-cell therapies are that are available for large B-cell lymphoma, let's take a look at the results of these CAR T-cell therapies in really chemotherapy refractory patients. These are the pivotal trials treating large B-cell lymphoma patients after two or more systemic lines of therapy, the Zuma-1 study of AxiCell, the Juliet study of Tisacel, and the Transcend study of Lysacel. These are all open-label phase two studies. And they took patients that really had very low likelihood of responding to available agents. We know that at the time of these clinical trials, available agents would lead to responses in about 20% of patients and complete responses in fewer than 10% of patients. With these CAR T-cells, we're seeing responses in anywhere between 50 and 80% of patients, and we're seeing complete responses in anywhere between 40 and 55% of patients. And more importantly than seeing these high response rates, we're seeing durability of response. So at six months, very few patients will relapse. We're seeing that about 40% of patients are maintaining their response past that critical time point. Now, these CAR T-cells have some unique toxicities. They cause cytokine release syndrome based on the cytokine cascade that follows CAR activation. And they also can cause immune effector cell neurologic toxicity or neurotoxicity syndrome or ICANS, which is in part related to breakdown of the blood-brain barrier and immune effector cells and cytokines making their way into the brain and the CNS, where they lead to brain inflammation. Across these trials, rates of CRS and ICANS range from about 50 to 90% for CRS and about 20 to 60% for ICANS, with the CD28 CAR AxiCell having higher rates of CRS and ICANS than the 41BB CARs like Tisacel and Lysacel. The CD28 CARs also have higher rates of high-grade cytokine release syndrome and neurologic toxicity. So I want to go back to the treatment paradigm for large B-cell lymphoma that I introduced earlier on and ask the question, if CAR T-cells work so well in the multiply relapse setting, will they beat salvage chemotherapy and an autotransplant in the second-line setting? And to answer this question, there were three randomized trials, the Zuma-7 trial of AxiCell, the Belinda trial of Tisacel, and the Transform trial of Lysacel, which all enrolled high-risk relapsing large B-cell lymphoma patients. So these are patients who, after frontline therapy, were either primary refractory or relapsed within the first 12 months. And I showed you those curves showing that these patients will do poorly with salvage chemo and an auto earlier these patients were randomized in a one-to-one -one fashion to either receive their respective CAR T-cell therapy or to receive salvage chemotherapy with a platinum-based salvage chemotherapy regimen. And if they have a response, they would go on to receive an autologous stem cell transplant. There were some key differences and similarities between the studies. Ultimately, the study designs were quite similar across the board. The comparator and standard of care arms were very similar. There were different allowances for bridging therapy across the studies for the experimental CAR T-cell arms. So between phoresis and CAR T-cell infusion during CAR T-cell manufacturing, only corticosteroids were allowed on the Zuma-7 clinical trial, whereas patients were allowed to get one cycle of chemotherapy on the TRANSFORM study and up to two cycles of chemotherapy on the Belinda study. Patients were not allowed to cross over on the Zuma-7 study. However, crossover was allowed on protocol for patients treated on the TRANSFORM and the Belinda study. 
patients were allowed to receive two or three cycles of salvage chemotherapy on the Zuma 7 study. All patients received three cycles of salvage chemotherapy on the TRANSFORM study. And on the Belinda study, if patients had stable disease and not progressive disease, but not a response after the first line of salvage chemotherapy in the standard of care arm, they actually were allowed to have a second line of salvage chemotherapy to try to get them to an autologous stem cell transplant. The end result is that patients got their CAR T cells a lot faster on the Zuma 7 study than they did on the TRANSFORM or the Belinda study. Now, the primary endpoint of these studies was event-free survival. The Zuma 7 and the TRANSFORM studies were positive studies, and the median and two-year event-free survivals for the experimental CAR T cell arms were superior to the standard of care arms in both studies. The Belinda study, however, was a negative study where the median event-free survival was identical in both groups. And here's just a look at the event-free survival curves. Patients treated on Zuma 7 and Transform had a superior event-free survival compared with patients who received standard of care, but the curves are really overlapping on the Belinda study. And just a look at overall survival, which these studies were not powered to detect and which was not expected to be a significant endpoint given the number of patients that were allowed to ultimately cross over and get CAR T cells in the third line. There is a separation of the curves, however, where patients treated with the experimental arm did have a better overall survival, although not statistically significant, on the Zuma 7 and TRANSFORM study, which did raise the question of, is waiting for CAR T cells in the third line as advantageous as getting CAR T cells in the second line? The safety and tolerability of these CAR T cells on these different trials looks very, very similar to what we saw on the phase two pivotal trials in the third line of beyond, where rates of any and high-grade CRS and any and high-grade ICANs actually closely mirror what we saw on the phase two studies in multiply relapsed patients, where the rates of these toxicities are, again, higher on the Zuma 7 study with AxiCell compared to the TRANSFORM study and the Belinda study of Lysacel and Tisacel, respectively. Look at the subgroup analysis, both for Zuma 7 and for Transform. The experimental arm, the CAR T cell arm, benefited all patients across the board, regardless of their risk group, whether they were young or old, whether they were primary refractory or relapsing within 12 months, whether they had a low or high age adjusted IPI, whether they were double or triple hit lymphomas, whether they were transformed lymphomas or other high grade B cell lymphomas. All patient groups benefited from CAR T cells over standard of care therapy. Although the Belinda study was a negative study, they did look at the event-free survival by response status before the patients were infused with their CAR T cells. So remember, these patients could get one or two cycles of salvage chemotherapy, and they were all restaged. And those who were actually in a complete response following one or two cycles of salvage chemotherapy did do better in terms of their event-free survival compared with patients who were in partial response, stable disease, and of course, progressive disease. There are some unanswered questions from these randomized trials. Specifically, what do you do if a patient starts and is responding to salvage chemotherapy before their CAR T cell consult? This is something we really do encounter in the real world. And you know what these studies don't answer is whether CAR T cells are better for patients who are responding to salvage chemotherapy than autologous stem cell transplant. Really, these studies answer whether for patients who are the intention is to transplant, is CAR T cell therapy better than the entire process of salvage and an auto? My practice continues to be that if someone is responding to salvage chemotherapy before I meet them, I may continue them on that salvage chemotherapy 
and assess their response. And if they're in a CR, would take them to an autologous stem cell transplant. But that is definitely debatable. For someone who has a double hit lymphoma or a high-grade B-cell lymphoma and they were primary of refractory, those patients I may continue with CAR T-cell therapy, even if they're transiently responding to salvage chemotherapy. But for all others, I might keep them on the standard of care route. The other question is, should patients receive bridging therapy and what type? We saw that each of the trials used different bridging therapies and they use different types of bridging therapies. In addition to some of these platinum-containing regimens, we now have other agents that have been approved for large B-cell lymphoma, including things like colbutuzumab that have a lot of activity in chemotherapy refractory disease. And will that be better than standard platinum-based bridging therapy for these basically chemotherapy refractory patients? And so that is really an unanswered question. And what do you do if a patient responds to that bridging therapy? I think this is a theoretical question, but practically speaking, once we commit a patient to a CAR T-cell treatment pathway, there are a lot of steps that go into that, including insurance authorization. And so it's hard to walk back from that. So I think from a practical standpoint, if a patient's responding to bridging therapy, they continue with CAR T-cells because it's very hard to switch over from an insurance and other pathway perspective. And then what do you do if a patient relapses after CAR T-cells? Is salvage and an auto still an option for these patients? Or do we always proceed to alternative options just as we would if someone was relapsing after CAR T-cells in the third line and beyond? I don't have any good answers to these questions, but they will surely be addressed with research in the coming years. I do just want to call your attention to one other study, the pilot study, which looked at lysocaptogene, marilucil, or lysocell in relapsing patients in the second line who were transplant ineligible. So this was an open-label phase two study where all of these patients who were ineligible for transplant, either because of age or other medical comorbidities, were treated with lysocell in the second line. And what this study showed is that patients did very, very well with a CR rate of 54%. They did very, very well in terms of progression-free survival with a median progression-free survival of nine months, but still about 35 to 40% of patients maintaining that response over years of follow-up. Median overall survival had not been reached at the time of this reporting. And rates of any in high-grade CRS or any in high-grade ICANS were actually quite comparable to how lysocell performs in other patient populations, making it also a safe option for these patients. And based on this study in 49 patients, the FDA also approved lysocell for large B-cell lymphoma in the second line for transplant ineligible patients. So just again to review the FDA approvals in second-line therapy, axicaptogene silalucil was approved for adult patients with large B-cell lymphoma that's refractory to frontline chemoimmunotherapy or relapses within 12 months of that chemotherapy. Lysocaptogene marilucil also had that disease status added to its label. In addition, patients who are relapsing after frontline chemoimmunotherapy but who are not transplant eligible due to comorbidities or age are also approved for lysocell in the second line. So I want to go back to our large B-cell lymphoma treatment paradigm and say that we're continuing to challenge it with new treatments and increasing new agents. So we've already seen the addition of CAR T-cell therapy in the second line for early relapsing or primary refractory patients or patients who are relapsing at any time point that are not autotransplant candidates. For patients that relapse after 12 months and are an autotransplant candidate, they would go down the route of second-line chemo and salvage and possibly an autologous stem cell transplant if they respond. Our patients who get CAR T-cells in the second line, if they relapse, they have an option of getting second-line salvage chemo and an autotransplant if they respond, or both of these groups of patients, if they don't respond, can go on to get third-line therapies. But at each of these time points, in the front line, in the second line, and then the third line, 
We're seeing ongoing clinical trials looking at new agents. We await the readout of these studies to see what the new standards of care will be going into the next decade. So just some take-home points. It's really important to remember that relapsed large B-cell lymphoma is still curable, even in your 75 or 80-year-old now that we have CAR T-cells available. Late relapsing transplant-eligible patients should get salvage chemo and an auto-transplant if they are chemo-sensitive based on the data we have to date, but early relapsing or transplant-ineligible patients should get CAR T-cells. Third-line patients who relapsed at a later time point and didn't respond to salvage or relapsed after an auto-transplant should also be getting CAR T-cells. Patients who relapse after CAR T-cells or patients who are transplant and or CAR ineligible have increasing options for palliation and bridging to an allogeneic stem cell transplant, which would represent a definitive option for these patients. And ongoing studies moving all of these therapies into earlier and even frontline settings will turn the sequence of therapies for large B-cell lymphoma on its head. And I really do await the results of these studies so we can find out what to do next. Finally, the FDA has approved AxiCell and Lysacel as second-line treatment for large B-cell lymphoma. And just to reiterate, for early relapsing or, or transplant ineligible patients, they should be getting these therapies in the second line based on randomized data. Thank you for your participation in this activity. Please also review part two of this educational activity and expert roundtable panel discussion featuring experiences and insights on CAR T-cell therapy for the second-line treatment of large B-cell lymphoma and how new evidence can be considered for real-world clinical practice. Thanks for listening. You have been listening to CME on ReachMD. This activity is provided by an educational grant from Bristol-Myers Squibb Company. To receive your free CME credit or to download this activity, go to reachmd.com slash CME. Thank you for listening.